Hey, everyone. Welcome to Real Vision Crypto. Enjoy today's show. Kevin, good to see you, my friend. Good to be back. How you doing? <laughs> I'm great. Um, listen, you've done a whole series of really fascinating interviews. And what I really want to do is kind of bring this all together. What, what have you learned? Because there is so much going on in this whole kind of community tokenization space, social tokens that you've been kind of looking at for us. Where do you want to start? Yeah, as you say, it's almost a loaded question because there were so many great, not just sound bites, but pieces of insight in each of those conversations, which we can get into all of them because I want to cover. They each had their own. What I liked about that series is they each had their own kind of take or perspective on the way in which they see this community driven kind of Web3 world coming together. Right. And so. Well, also, just before we get into it, the thing is, is most people can't see this yet. Right. They can see a bit of community around NFTs. Most of the projects are relatively small or niche, um, stuff like Friends with Benefits. So the mass consumer hasn't seen any of this yet. So I feel like this is our window into the world of the future for people. They don't know it yet, but we're planting all the flags to say, listen, this is where it's all going. Is that what you think? Yeah, no, it really is. And I think one of the big takeaways was it's still a bit fragmented within the crypto space, right? And one of the big things that we've harped on continuously is that concept of composability, right? And the the ability for these different project teams, protocols, applications to all be able to talk with one another, but also build on top of one another, right? Oftentimes referred to in DeFi as like the, the building blocks. What does that mean in practicality? Because composability is a word people throw around. Uh, nobody knows what it means. So what I think we're going to see, one of the, the next big waves, I think, of we'll call it composability, I think is actually going to be in this, we'll call it community slash social token and NFT world. And when we talk about composability, what it really kind of represents is the ability for these different protocols and applications to talk with one another and allow for developers to build on top of them, right? So for example, if you're launching an NFT project, the, the fact that you're launching that on, let's say, Ethereum mainnet allows you to take advantage of the entire kind of developer ecosystem that's being built on Ethereum and allows people to come in and use those assets and build new applications or new use cases for those assets in ways maybe you hadn't foreseen before, right? So when we talk about things like NFTs, you're seeing an entire world of financialization or fractionalization of NFTs starting to pop up, right? Where you're actually able to drive more liquidity to these things. You can start tapping into for community DAOs, for example, being able to leverage some of the applications that have been built and the, and the interfaces that have been built to allow them to manage their treasuries. Uh, uh, and that can be for community DAOs, that can be for investing DAOs. So the, the point around composability is it, it basically opens you up to this entire kind of developer ecosystem where people can build on top of whatever it is that, you, that you're creating at the kind of primitive level with these assets themselves, right? And so where that gets like really interesting as we've talked about is, you know, metaverse experiences, but really... These community-driven um, uh, projects, I think the optionality that is almost baked into some of them, right, whether it's a CryptoPunks, Board Ape, uh, a Yacht Club, and some of these other kind of um, um, periphery NFT projects, we don't necessarily know what is going to come of that IP yet and what people are going to build around it. And you're starting to see the early indications of what this could look like. But the fact that people can come in and, again, build applications on top of you know some type of base layer asset that you've created makes for a really kind of innovative and creative explosion that I don't think we've really seen yet because a lot of these things are still a bit fragmented. 
Yeah, I mean, I can't even get my head around it because it's moving so fast and it is really at the experimentation phase as opposed to the mass rollout phase. So people don't know what's happening until it happens, I guess. Yeah, and it, it, some of the big takeaways from this series, you know, for me, just at a high level, is one, I think the future is certainly going to be more community-driven, right? And we're starting to see that in some of these more grassroots projects and grassroots uh, movements. But I think that, again, is going to apply to some of the largest kind of brands, creators in the world, tapping into the collective creativity of your community, whether that community is made up of fans, customers who are interacting with your products and services, there's going to be entirely new business models that are created around these types of assets, right? And you and I have talked at length about, you know, what some of those could look like. The other thing that's interesting is, is culture becoming more investable, right? And, and one of the things I think you and I originally kind of um, were, were jamming on or how you and I really uh, uh, connected initially was around just the, the the macro backdrop of what this looks like from um, a, a bigger picture standpoint, right? So we joke that crypto is macro. We talk about things like narrowing a wealth inequality gap. How do you bring and allow people to start to build wealth? Because we know that wealth is, is really created by owning things, right? Owning assets. It's not based on the income that you're, that, that you're making. And so what's interesting about some of these models is they're actually you know, paying contributors and the people who are creating that value. They're paying those who create the value in an asset that potentially could appreciate over time um, that allows them to start building up, you know, their own kind of uh, portfolio of, you know, capital assets. And it's not just some type of, you know, next generation of employment where you're just making a fiat income from some other, from some other revenue source. And, and what's interesting is like, people think investing is about buying Apple shares or whatever it might be, your 401k. And suddenly, as you alluded to, culture becomes the investment, which is something we're all immersed in all the time. The cultures we want to um, be part of, we can have a stake in. And somebody mentioned to me, Yatsui from Animoco mentioned it as universal basic equity, yep. which I thought was a genius idea. So you're operating in your normal internet world. You're a fan of this. You're a part of that. And that creates value. And soon, it won't be long before that value is in your wallet on your phone. And you can see, oh, my God, my my you know fan membership of, of Manchester United Sports Club has gone up in value. Oh, that one's going down. Maybe I want to leave that community because it's not working very well. It's a, it's an extraordinarily powerful concept for people to get their heads around. Yeah, and you're unlocking value in in areas that were previously more intangible, right? So we talk about, you know, unlocking the value of fandom for example and putting there's pros and cons to the financialization of everything, but putting financial value around social capital within some of these communities, as you alluded to, is a really, really big unlock from Web3, right? Not only does it allow you to earn that kind of, let's call it universal basic equity by participating and creating value for these communities, but taking it a step back and again, from that macro perspective, I think you know Web3 is really unlocking an entirely new asset class, or, or I should say class of investable assets, right? At the exact moment from a macro perspective that the world needs it, right? And you and I have talked a lot about, again, if you're sitting there, you're a pension fund, you're a family office, and you're trying to, we, we can get into decades and decades of dovish monetary policy and record low interest rates and all of these things that have really are coming to a head at this point. But if you're getting pushed further and further out the risk curve, there really is no better asset class, in my opinion, or industry that offers you that kind of long-term growth potential that crypto and Web3 is unlocking now, right? And for now, it's still a bit more 
um, we'll say niche, right? It's not as mainstream yet, but crypto and Web3, it's coming after just about every industry, whether those you know incumbents and leaders today know it or not. So let's talk through some of the people that you met because you, you covered all sorts of different aspects that I thought was really interesting to show that this building block is not about one influencer who's going to just launch some tokens. What it is, is actually a whole new business model. That's what I've been thinking of this. This is a whole new business model for the internet. At its core, it is the most Web 3.0 part of this entire thing. More than NFTs, more than crypto itself, more than the metaverse even. I think this is it. So talk us through who, what you learned from some of these people. Yeah, so I actually jotted down a list of everybody that we brought on because, again, certainly didn't want to leave anybody out because every single conversation brought something else to the table, right? So we kicked off with Dow's in the ownership economy with Cooper Turley, who was a very kind of early participant within FWB, Friends with Benefits, who we've used as a parallel for some of these um, kind of Web3-based native communities. Uh, but Cooper really is the my go-to expert on kind of all things DAOs, social tokens, and really building out, you know, a, a strong thesis around NFTs and how this all kind of inter interrelates when it comes to community building in and of itself. So talk people through what FWB is doing, where it is today, what it's doing now, because it's a really interesting experiment of kind of a membership club, essentially is how I think of it. Um, talk people through so they can understand it at, at you know, simpler level. Yeah, so at a high level, Friends of Benefits is, is exactly that. It's really a social club. And I think what they 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 joke around about is that FWB, the, the least interesting thing about FWB is is the crypto aspect of it, right? Because it's made up of so many unique um, individuals and people from all walks of life. So you have some that are kind of Web3 developers, really kind of deep down the rabbit hole. You've got people like you have people like Cooper who pretty much has his hand in just about everything DAO related, right? It's, he's he's a very much a jack of all trades. You've got musicians, you've got creators, you have this kind of intersection of culture across several different verticals all coming together. And what I think FWB and why I, I always point to them as a really, uh, is kind of the epitome of what I think some of these, these DAOs and these um, social clubs can become is they're kind of flipping the traditional business model on its head, right? So not only are they a social club, but they're actually creating products for their community to use. So one of the, again, the big unlocks of, of these community-driven models is rather than the old way of, you know, building a product and then trying to find a community or user base for it, right? And trying to find that product market fit. They're almost starting with community first, right? And building up a really strong connection and relationships between the people within that community. And then together trying to solve or identify gaps within the market and then trying to build products by leveraging that community uh, to build products that they see a need for, and they tap into automatically a user base that is the members of that community, right? So it's almost this kind of community first, then product later type mentality. And they've had some early successes with, you know, one of the the um, projects that they've kind of, I guess, incubated within FWB is this, this um, a platform called Gatekeeper. And it essentially allows for using NFTs as tickets for in real life events, right? So we've tested it with, you know, a handful of um, uh, events that we've thrown at Delphi. There were uh, during NFT week, a few weeks ago, for example, Example, they you know had a had a large um, uh, event going on where you had to not only be an FWB token holder right to actually get one of these NFTs, uh, but also you kind of use that NFT as the ticket to get into the club, right? So creating products from uh, gaps that the community themselves identify and that they would be users of, right, which automatically plugs into again that 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 um, kind of bootstrap user base. 
where they have gotten to, and they recently just actually raised a, a round into FWB. One of the, the most interesting parts of that was you had people, and I, I think we mentioned this in our recent uh, insiders, we they had investors coming to them and basically pitching the community on the value add that they could bring as an investor coming in, right? So it wasn't, hey, we're going out and raising capital, we need money. It was investors kind of knocking on their door saying, hey, we'd love to be a part of this community. Here's all the value that we can bring. And literally having people like Chris Dixon and A16Z come in and pitch them on what the value they could bring to, to the FWB community by committing capital and you know getting an ownership stake within, within the social club itself. So again, just some really... Why I point to FWB is I think they are on the forefront of a lot of emerging trends and they're not afraid to experiment with things, right? And they have probably one of the strongest collections of thought leaders, developers, and creators at the intersection of crypto and a handful of kind of creative verticals. And so they're able to tap into that creativity of the collective in ways that I, I think other communities are trying to do, but but certainly can't yet. I always love talking to you because it's, it's- I can hear him. And the, I can and hear him. He's going nuts. He's ready for his lunchtime walk. Yep, and he's, he's probably freaking out. <laughs> he's fighting with the cushions. Hilarious. He's always the same. Um, so just to finish up on Cooper, how do DAOs fit into this social movement? How is that happening? Yeah, so, so DAOs, I look at them as almost trying to formalize some of the relationships within, within these social clubs and providing at least a high-level framework for things like governance, right? Governance is a really hot, hotly debated topic right now within the world of social tokens, DAOs, and, and even NFTs, right? And how those can potentially fit into the picture. Governance is one of those things that is still very fluid, very experimental, because at a certain point, you need not necessarily leadership, but you need some type of unified direction, right? And I can I can just see from the smirk from your face, I have no idea what he's doing behind me, but I can, I can almost guarantee no one's <laughs> listening to me and everyone's probably watching him. Always thing is his anatomy you know as he's uh, hanging out yeah that's great <laughs> edit that in post-production right um but where, where where i think you know dallas fit into this is creating some of those more formalized structures allowing for governance and then allowing to start to track the contributors to these communities in ways that allow you to start to actually give them or, or reward them with this universal basic equity that we're talking about, right? We're actually giving them stakes within the communities themselves for contributing some type of value add. And that sounds a bit opaque in large part because it is, because the, the, the incentives that you want to, or the behaviors that you want to incentivize really depend on what your community is trying to do, right? What the mission is, what you're trying to encourage your members to do, how you're trying to get them to engage with one another, what you're trying to get them to push for. And so what DAOs allow you to do is basically create some type of structure around core coordinating the efforts of this disparate group of people that are within your community itself. Yeah, so it's the way to organize your token holders. Mm -hmm. And not just so to clarify for people watching this as they're trying to get their heads around it all, the DAO can either be, every token holder could be a member of the DAO, or the DAO is a separate group, a separate committee, as it were, um, a distributed committee that makes the decision on behalf of the community if they're DAO token holders. Is that right? Yeah. And, and the way in which we're seeing these really start to, to pan out is you'll have almost, you know, certain pods within the DAO itself that are responsible for different um, initiatives that the DAO is pushing for based on their mission, right? So maybe it's, you know, marketing, maybe it's somebody who has uh, traditional finance experience, and they come in and they help to manage the treasury itself, right? And think of ways in which they can diversify a treasury, because oftentimes a lot of these DAOs, 
the assets they hold within their treasury are, are primarily their native tokens, right? And so figuring out ways in which they can diversify that, um, think through the longevity of the DAO and, and how it's going to uh, survive probably well beyond even some of its its founding members. So you have people that are coming together, bringing their skills from, you know, uh, we'll call it the real world, right, into um, this, these DAO ecosystems. And then you're starting to see, again, these, these leaders of DAOs start to sprout up based on community consensus, right? So electing people or delegating certain responsibilities to people within that community that is, again, signed off and, and there's broad consensus on from the members themselves on who it is will represent the DAO in you know X, Y, and Z vertical. And it's starting to take shape of, again, don't want to compare this to the old kind of firm or traditional corporate model, but there are certain advantages to why firms exist, right, in terms of minimizing transaction costs and aggregating capital and, and coordinating, you know, uh, the individual efforts of people. And so it's basically taking the best of that world of why a firm would exist, but doing it in a much more fluid way that also allows people to move in and out of these communities, as, as you mentioned, right? If you no longer agree with the direction in which, you know, this organization or this DAO is heading, or your interests simply change and you want to, the opportunity cost of you, you know, working on this DAO versus, you know, another one that catches your eye or aligns more with your values or your, or, or your passions, you have the ability to kind of exit at any point, right? Because you have that financial stake within it. And so you have some type of some type of asset that you can um, uh, vote with your feet in a sense to, to, to leave. Keep, if you can keep your comes. asset in it or you can move your assets and reinvest them elsewhere into a different DAO. Exactly. Like so it just creates a really your, fluid model. It's like being able to move the equity that you get in working for a company and just saying, oh, I'm moving to another company. I, I can choose to leave it there and build a portfolio or I can choose to sell it and buy new equity in the new business I'm working for. It's kind of, that's pretty clever, right? Right, because the 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 DAOs themselves, right, and the assets, um, you know, the tokens that represent your um, not only ownership, but governance and influence within that DAO, the trade-off there is, okay, let's say I sell, sell my stake or I, I'm no longer a, um, a, a holder of or a member of this DAO, then you are blocked off from the benefits that comes with maybe it's token-gated access or just having some type of governance and influence on that DAO itself, right? So to your point, it's trying to figure out where what I think we're getting to, and I and I got into this in one of our conversations around the future of work um, with Ben over at Rabbit, Rabbit Hole and how they're kind of onboarding the next generation of crypto users, what you're starting to see pan out is really the the true future of work, right? It's no longer the nine to five job. It's really figuring out where your passions lie, figuring out maybe a handful of projects that you're really passionate about that you want to get involved in. And these projects themselves, because you have these kind of native tokens at the center of them, allow you to uh, uh, pay or compensate those people who are coming in and contributing to uh, the, the, the the mission and the, and the values of that community itself and helping to build and push that community forward. You're actually able to reward them with true ownership within the community itself, right? Via these tokens or via some type of NFT, if that's how you're token gating access. So again, even the future of work is being challenged because it, it really does favor a kind of a multidisciplinary um, uh, type of world where you have your hand in a handful of projects and because you're touching different touch points and you're getting different experiences you're actually bringing more value back to the projects you're involved in because you're seeing a whole bunch of different experiments going on all across this web3 ecosystem so moving on you also spoke to a few people about the creator economy you know music arts who did you speak to and what did you glean out of that 
Yeah. So one of the first ones you spoke to was Jack Spallone, um, who is, you know, I consider my go-to expert for the intersection of music and web three and music and crypto. Jack has uh, a long history in both the traditional uh, kind of music industry, but also he was one of the um, earliest kind of pioneers of music NFTs and trying to basically bring um, uh, uh, music to, you know, the or crypto, I should say, to the music industry and leverage a lot of what Web3 tech, um, the advantages that Web3 tech can bring. Jack is currently the head of crypto over at HiFi Labs, um, and they're doing some really interesting things, working with artists to uh, do things like NFT drops, think through, you know, creative ways to bring more um, music related activity on chain. He's extremely passionate about, again, creator uh, interests, artist interests, putting the artist first and unlocking the value that he thinks, you know, uh, a lot of these artists create with their creative works, their songs or albums, et cetera. And he's also somebody I love bouncing ideas off of because he's a very creative thinker in terms of the new ways in which you can unlock value for, you know, a music artist that maybe doesn't necessarily try to play to the old uh, uh, or traditional playbook within the music industry, like streaming and things like that, right? He's thinking through new ways to bring music related activities on chain. He's very passionate about trying to normalize music metadata standards. So there's so much around this that again, when you look at the music industry and I think creative verticals in or creative industries in general are probably the most ripe for disruption or some of the lowest hanging fruit when it comes to creating that direct relationship between creators and their fans. Uh, music is certainly one of those that fits the bill because of not only the opacity behind this industry, but there's so many different players. There's so many people that take a, a, a cut of an artist's work, right? When they record a song, release a song, write a song. And what, what Jack is really passionate about is, again, leveraging the best of Web3 to empower those artists and empower uh, the relationships and engagement between them and their, their fan bases. And he's very pragmatic about his thinking, right? It's not, you know, just a whole bunch of pie in the sky ideas. He's actually on the front lines building out the interfaces and the technology and the infrastructure to be able to support this new world. Um, yeah, I've got a conversation coming up with Justin Blau as well about how music royalties and all of that starts fitting into this jigsaw puzzle. So who else did you speak to on the creative side? So on the creative side, one of the actual creators themselves I spoke to uh, was Micah Johnson, right? And I mean, he is one of my top, I think he is the the epitome of what Web3 native media will look like going forward, right? And and he's built an entire company around um, his NFT-based character, Aku, now. Um, but what I loved about that conversation with Micah was, one, I mean, the narrative around, you know, why he why he um, uh, designed and created Aku in the first place is, is absolutely inspiring. But two, really trying to write, rewrite the playbook for creators, storytellers, and uh, creative IP in this new Web3 native way or this new Web3 native world to, again, tap into the power of a collective community of fans that become an extension of that creative IP, right? So I'll have to make the reference of Aku potentially becoming something like, you know, the Mickey Mouse of Web3. And one of the biggest kind of value props of that is not only is Micah driving the creative direction of where Aku goes, right? And, 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 and where um, um, that IP is heading, I guess you could say, or how it's used. 
But he's also built a really, really strong coalition of followers and supporters and a community around him that he is giving direct kind of ownership or uh, influence in his decision making process and, and where and where things are going right to the community themselves. Right. So they're a part of the journey. You're, you're bringing people in and the early supporters and followers to be a part of the journey wherever this creative IP goes. And again, I think that's another really, really big unlock because you're creating new engagement models because you're also tapping into the power and the networks of your your community behind you. And you're no longer, let's say, a, a one-man show in his case, right? He's got a handful of people on his team within the company that he's built, but really he's got an entire community now of you know thousands of people, some of which are very, very well-known and, and very influential that are now at his back, right? And, and, and almost serve as because a big tailwind for him for his, any endeavor he wants to go They've got a stake in his success and the community's success, right? Exactly. So it's not... And that's the unlock, right? Is having that ownership. This this entire kind of Web three unlock thesis is around, you know, yes, creating those 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 more direct relationships, but really you do that via this ownership model, right? It's all about the ownership economy, and that's really where um, I think Micah Micah's story. This really interesting is that it's that intersection of you know traditional media and that traditional media model, and even leveraging traditional uh, um, distribution methods to enhance or grow the awareness of that IP, but retaining ownership of the IP itself, you know, w w with him and the community that is helping him build it, rather than giving it to, you know, the the um, uh, incumbents who, similar to the music industry, oftentimes can take a cut or are, um, I won't say predatory, but are, are certainly not acting, I think, in the best interests of who those creators are. So talking of creators, Jeff Kaufman's approached it from a different point. He's created a, a community around marketers, which is really interesting. So it's like taking the FWB idea, but making it as opposed to a broad web 3.0, he's gone, we're going to take a specific community of marketing officers build a community around them, which they all want to network with each other, and then create something. Talk us through what Jeff's, where is he going with this? That's exactly it. So he's created this jump community, which is, his his goal initially was to bring in your traditional marketers, CMOs, advertising um, executives, to start to experience the power of Web3 directly, right? So he's, has a- has I mean, a, the marketing a, team a, at Real Vision have joined Jump. And it's and it's a and it's a flood of it, not only information, but I mean, if you look at the introductions in his in his community discord, I mean, some of the people that he's been able to attract in there are unbelievable. Right. I mean, the VPs of, of, of marketing at some of your top you're some of your biggest brands on the planet. I think he said something like over half of the Fortune 1000 have at least some marketing executive, either current or former represented within that community that he's built, right? So he's coming at it from the approach of trying to bring, you know, we'll call it the web two marketing folks into web three, but doing it in a way that is natural and organic, one as a kind of meeting point for them to start to learn about these things and connect with one, one another, build those relationships and engage. But two, he's also starting to do things like tipping within his own uh, uh, jump token that he's starting to create, right? So giving them real live interactions with how these things can work. And the longer term vision of that, again, is to kind of build out that community. But one thing I think that's that's really interesting from our conversation that I pulled away was just getting into the mindset of how some of these brands and these big companies are starting to think about the opportunities here. Right. And so he has this, this really, I think, spot on thesis around how 
CMOs are going to be quicker to get here than CFOs will, right? CFOs will follow when it comes to figuring out all the, you know, the financial logistics of how to make something happen. But for brands that are trying to experiment with NFTs that are potentially even looking at, you know, a, a, some type of community token longer term, it's really going to be the CMOs and the marketers that are looking at this because it's deals with customer retention, customer engagement, you know, customer acquisition. How do we actually, you know, tap into, you know, our community of, of, of customers um, uh, to, to, to create more value for them. Right. And the CFOs will follow. And so some of the, the feedback he's gotten, you know, you look at uh, um, uh, companies coming out and buying NFTs, right. Buying something like a board ape. Even that in of itself, the marketing you know pitch for that being you are buying into not only a community or partnering with the Web3 community, but that now sits as an asset on your balance sheet and it's no longer a, a sunk cost, right? It's not just a marketing expense. You actually turn that expense into an asset is an entire paradigm shift, paradigm shift in and of itself when you think about traditional advertising and marketing models, right? So just that in and of itself is one piece of the bigger puzzle he's trying to put together for some of these you know Web2 marketing execs. Um, and he's got some really, really interesting takes on where he thinks this is going and some great challenges to, you know, some of the, the I think, operating narratives within crypto um, and reasons why, you know, naturally some of these bigger companies and bigger brands would be hesitant to maybe jump, you know, headfirst into into this world. So we've looked at, I mean, this is what this is how big this is, right? We talked at the beginning about the future of work and organizations themselves using the social token construct and DAOs and other stuff. We've talked about how it's going to change the music industry, how it's creating, how it's changing the creative media industry, how it is changing the value of memberships and groupings of people. It's, we've also talked about how it's going to go down deep verticals like marketing, and you'll create a whole value system around the network of people and the value they can bring to each other. And then you spoke to Jess at... Um, Seed Club, just like Seed Club, yep. And he's doing it basically for everybody, but from ground up. So talk a bit about Jess as well. Yeah, so so Seed Club is basically a, a social token incubator of sorts. And so what they do is run a cohort model where they'll have, you know, 10 different projects for every cohort come in and basically get partnered up with what they consider mentors within the Web3 space, Cooper Turley being, you know, a very active member of Seed Club, for example, just tying that full circle. And these projects are basically building their own communities, these kind of grassroots communities, and they're trying to figure out how to not only build that community, um, but also tap into the advantages that Web3 can offer, specifically around tokenization, right? So how do you engage that community? What incentives are you trying or behaviors are you trying to incentivize? How do you create some type of sustainable token economic model longer term? And bringing together some of the best thought leaders and minds within really crypto, but really at that intersection of community and crypto and allowing them to partner with these project teams that maybe don't have the most experience, but have really, really kind of engaging fan bases or, or community bases to figure out ways in which they can tokenize those communities themselves. And so C Club is a very interesting example because they are a true kind of social token incubator and the learnings that you can get just from being a part of you know, the Seed Club DAO, for example, are tremendous because you see a ton of different projects from, again, all walks of life, all trying to do different things, but are rallying around this idea of trying to create or, or tokenize the, the, the social capital within their communities themselves. Um, and so far, they've they've had tremendous success. They just had their, their third cohort just did a demo day a couple of weeks ago, and it had a ton of people dial in and listen in. And again, 
you just hear the passion behind some of these these early stage projects. It creates really interesting new ways for people to not a, not only the future of work, but for people to um, build value in something that they truly believe in. And it doesn't have to be the largest community on the planet for it to be valuable either. You know what I mean? It, it's really about the members, the engage, the people who are a part of it um, and figuring out the right ways to incentivize them and, and, and get them all around the same kind of campfire in a sense. So C club and, and Jess, again, one of my favorite people to talk to um, really from a, from a community building standpoint, there's, there's few that do it better or know more about it than, than Jess in the entire team at C-Club. So, you know, if I step back and look at this, the observations I've got is, is we've got these communities and we're now organizing around a set of principles and we've created this system of value or money exchange, which can be utility, which is generally utility, but it happens mm -hmm. to accrete value if the community flourishes. And that community token also acts as a KPI, key performance indicator, because if it's going down, you're not acting value in the value is not in the community that, that it should be. And if it goes up, the community is obviously adding value and people want to be part of that community. So I think, I mean, people haven't got their heads around this yet, but I'm going to be say something contentious. The biggest social token of all is Bitcoin. The, the OG social token. Well, it is, right? Because what it is was kind of like a DAO structure, kind of, you know, there was a group of developers who are able to develop it that has to take on, on board from the community. You own it, you try and then participate in the community or build on the community because you believe in the community. You know, why Jack Dorsey's doing what Jack Dorsey's doing is because he believes in the community of Bitcoin, what Bitcoin stand for and what we can do with it and what its set of principles are. And if everybody participates and drives network effects and adds to the, the value, then it does better. If people don't do as well because they're abusive to others, then the token underperforms Ethereum, for example. It kind of works, right? And Bitcoin, people hate me when I say it, but it's a perfect social token. It has a defined you know, utility. People are building on top of it. They're creating stuff. Ethereum's the same too. They're all ways of organizing these hyper growth communities it's amazing yeah and i think part of it too the pushback could be just the um the aura around social tokens in general right and again that in and of itself is a kind of broad category for a lot of things we're talking about right but the the underlying kind of theme here, I think, is is community, right? That we keep going back to, like community, whether it's for Bitcoin, whether it's Does for community Ethereum, have it's, value it's, or not? It's as simple as that, right? Right. And what is and what is the value of you know having a stronger, more engaged community that again is aligned in what you're trying to do? The, the early developers on around Bitcoin, for example, you know, had a, a very almost well, necessary crystal clear idea of what it was they were trying to do, but they all bought into that same bigger picture kind of vision and mission, right? Simple, very similar with Ethereum, right? And we talk about composability, right? And not to get too in the weeds on some of these technical terms, but one of the reasons why Ethereum is the second most valuable crypto asset today, right? And the most valuable kind of smart contract platform is because it allows for, it is, it is open source and it allows for people to build applications on top of it, right? So you can, and allow those applications in themselves to talk to each other and even build on top of one another. So the ability for you to, it, it speeds up that innovation cycle to exponential levels because 
by definition, every day you have more and more projects that are trying and teams that are trying to build new applications, leveraging kind of what already exists, right? They often show creativity. Sometimes isn't necessarily coming up with anything original. It's just combining things in an original way. There's so much creativity happening on top of uh, in the in the developer ecosystem on top of you know these these layer one platforms like Ethereum that allow them to accrue a ton of value because again there's so much optionality baked into what that platform can be used for and what it can wind up being the kind of end up the settlement layer for so there's a similar type of mentality around if you if you think about some of these communities as maybe being the the base layers in a in a certain sense I know it's not a perfect parallel but in a certain sense the 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 base uh, um, primitives for where these assets are or value starts to, to to be created or this IP starts to be created the things that can be built on top of that or use that or 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 uh, create new utility for those assets you almost don't know where that's going to go yet so in a sense some of these communities are almost like trying to control the chaos and and funnel that in a certain direction or you know what they think is a certain direction without letting it get too far and too kind of archaic in a sense because then if it's entirely leaderless you can wind up having no real decision making no real movements and it can stagnate right and that's one of the kind of i think key challenges that a lot of these you know up and coming DAOs are starting to face today is how do we actually coordinate in a way that it's never going to be perfect it's going to be messy that's kind of part of the process but how do we actually accomplish and get from point A to point Z and do it in a way in which we're bringing this community along for the journey with us? So, you know, listening to you talk, the parallel I'm going to give is back in the 70s, there was a bunch of people in garages in Silicon Valley tinkering around with motherboards and then starting to build personal computers because they thought it was possible. And it all looked fragmented and it was nerdy and geeky and niche and small and based out of garages by kids who went to Stanford and MIT. Then suddenly out of that came Apple and Microsoft because they suddenly started creating consumer apps. And I think the reason you and I are so interested in this is we think this is the future of everything that people don't realize it now, these kind of nerdy little things that are going on, the experimentation is actually the foundation stones for a total revolution in how we are all going to operate. And it's going to be the prevalent business model for everything is going to be around these tokens, whether it's DAO structures and communities. And the new Apple, the gigantic community, the gigantic consumer application is coming. Right. And the, 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 the operating layer of that, right? Again, the fact that this space is open source lends itself to not only that exponential innovation, but also, I think, a much more abbreviated timeline on when we'll see this really kind of come mainstream and, and, and come to fruition, right? We've had conversations with, you know, and, and when you talk to CMOs and companies and brands, you know, the, the timeline's definitely getting shorter and shorter, but it still seems like it's, you know, maybe two, three years out, they're starting to think about this. And I think they're going to get a lot of pressure in the next maybe even six months or so as you start to see new kind of innovative brands come out on the forefront of this. They're going to have to put a plan in place to figure out what that digital asset strategy is. And that, again, consider these interactive digital assets. That's kind of how I've been viewing them or positioning them because it's it's about what you what, what they can allow you to do, how they can tap into, again, that, that community and, and create those engagement models and really add value and provide value for, you know, your biggest supporters, most loyal fans. Like 
it's the it's what you can do with these things, the utility you can provide that really gets gets me excited longer term about you know what we're going to see in terms of these consumer facing apps. And since you and I started talking about this, we've seen, you know, we've seen music and bands moving around this. I mean, you shared one with me the other day where they've organized around NFTs, not social tokens yet, but NFTs as social tokens. We've seen, um, I think it was this week, uh, um, Death Row Records talking about how they're going to integrate mm-hmm. NFTs and looks like social tokens. They weren't super clear on it yet. And Starbucks. I mean, there's a rewards system. I don't know whether they can build community. That's the big gamble. Does Starbucks have a community right. or not? And, and that's going to be a bet. But if you can create a reward system that's better than the existing reward system, it's better than nothing. Do they have a community? I don't know. If they featured that, if they figured out that most companies launch from a Starbucks and create a kind of entrepreneur's economy and the use of Starbucks economy and stuff like that, then you've got something interesting. Who knows where it's going to go? But as you can see, these steps that we've been showing people, they're coming at us fast. Yeah, and I think one of the the kind of final layers of this, right, and tying this together during this series, also sat down with um, Ian and Will, the two, two of the co-founders of Syndicate. And what we're also seeing now playing into this bigger trend is that investing and participating in these networks is becoming social, right? As as we've alluded to, it's 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 community driven, and by definition, it's a social endeavor. And so the folks over at Syndicate, what they're basically doing is allowing for um, these on-chain investing clubs to spin up in a much more seamless and much more cost-effective way than going the traditional kind of hedge fund or VC route, right? And this can take the form of, you know, a, a handful of just close friends who want to invest in music NFTs, for example, all the way up to your kind of larger scale, you know, venture capital type funds. And so, again, bringing that full circle around culture becoming investable, but also investing in general, becoming more social. And it's not just seeing in web three, right? You have like the rise of Robinhood, for example, investing itself is becoming, you know, more of a social activity that again, starts to blur the lines around how do you create wealth? And it doesn't have to be again, you know, a a bunch of friends sitting around and ripping through Apple's 10 Q, you know, and trying to figure out like those, those, those days, you know, at least for the, the up and coming generations, those days are probably long gone. It's investing at the intersection of the most cutting edge and, and, and um, sexy culture trends. That's exactly where this is going. And and folks at syndicate are, are, you know, trying to provide that infrastructure layer to allow people to come together and and do it in both, you know, a, a seamless way, but also a compliant way. Look, this is all super fascinating. And again, for people to be clear is, I think your belief is that NFTs are just part of this. They're just different expressions of these digital assets that help organize and create value for these communities. Yeah, and Cooper actually had a great quote in our uh, in our conversation. Um, he said, "NFTs just that I view NFTs more as access and tokens as ownership and governance." And I think that's a really good way to think about it because, yes, there are ways in which you can blur those lines, and there are some situations. FWB being actually a great example where the the token itself actually serves as your access point. Right, you have to hold a certain amount of the 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 FWB tokens to get access to the uh, the community in of itself or to participate in some of these in real life events. But I do think that NFTs can almost serve as the gateway to start to build out an on-chain social graph of your 
fans, supporters, community members. And then what tokens can be really valuable and used for is almost kind of starting to pour fuel on the fire, maybe not necessarily sparking the fire itself, right? So once that community starts to develop and, and you start to see how they're engaging with one another and, and what the values and what the longer term kind of mission is of that community coming together is, then you can start to leverage tokens and incentives and you know consistent rewards to incentivize the behaviors that push that that you know, mission forward. And that's how I think some of these old, old, these social clubs will start to develop. Look, it's going to be super interesting. I'm sure you're going to be continuing this journey of some of this. It's moving too fast. And it's you and I, as I keep saying, think this is going to be bigger than anybody yet understands. So people are looking at this saying, I don't really understand this. I don't really see the application. It's coming. And the sooner you understand it, the better. And to be honest, all the things like you and I joke, all the things we talk about, we're by no means experts on this either. There's a lot of ideas that are going to come out of this that we probably didn't even foresee. And that's that's kind of the beauty of it, right? Is it's it's really just more of almost a, a thought experiment in certain ways and thinking about what that that future could be. You know, investing and getting involved in Web3, I like to say, is is really, you know, you have to be an optimist on what the future is going to hold, right? Because this is a really, really powerful, powerful technology that can unlock a lot of, a lot of value and a lot of things for a lot of people. Um, but again, there's so much going on that it's impossible for one person to be an expert on all, all things Web3 and all things crypto. And so what I'm really excited for, probably most excited for are things that we haven't even thought of or touched on that come out of nowhere. And you just, you know, you see a headline, you go, holy hell, that, of course that makes sense. Hindsight's always 2020. Of course that makes sense. But you know, so it just takes somebody in a garage or maybe somebody in a Starbucks or maybe just somebody playing around in their basement on on their on their laptop to come up with these ideas. And this technology allows them to, I think, bring those ideas to market and to fruition a lot faster than they otherwise would, you know, in the we'll say in the old, you know, traditional, traditional ways. Yeah. And, you know, I, I've done a series of interviews on this subject, too. And it's still amazing, man. Stuff like Chili's is, is now worth two billion dollars. And they've barely started in what they're trying to do. That's with tokenizing sports teams. You know, there's, it's really interesting. You know, Rally have created a platform for anybody to launch their own community token simply. It's like mm-hmm. social tokens as a, as a, as a, um, as a service. As a service, right? That's, a, yeah. Yep. It's straight up. And so these are all coming together. And look, let's see where this journey is going to go, but it's going to be a lot of fun. And we're going to be here for it, whichever <laughs> way it goes. Good to see you as ever, right, and we'll catch up soon. Absolutely. Sounds great. Thanks for having me. What's up, revolutionaries? Thanks for tuning in to Real Vision Crypto. For more great crypto content like this, head over to realvision.com forward slash crypto and get unfiltered access to the very best, brightest, and biggest names in finance.